Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 155 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we looked at artificial intelligence and what recent AI developments might mean for lawyers. The episode is notable because I actually left Tom speechless at one point. We wanted to shift gears from the esoteric to the everyday standard and take a fresh look at Windows and the Windows platform, especially the Surface Pro and the coming Windows 10. Tom, what's on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we'll be talking about the uh, new and upcoming Windows 10, which is slated for release next month, uh, as well as the Service Pro tablet, uh, my report on how I've been using it the past six months. In our second segment, uh, we'll revisit the uh, topic of artificial intelligence. Uh, I'll challenge Dennis to provide some practical tips for lawyers uh, to prepare for the age of AI. He may again leave me speechless. We'll see if that works out. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first, uh, let's talk about the Windows platform. Windows still gets a bad rap, even though it's uh, far and away the dominant computing platform. Uh, Although Windows 7 was, I think, a popular, well-regarded release, Windows 8 was, I think we can all agree, a hot mess. It was so much of a mess that Windows decided to skip over 9 and go straight to 10. Uh, Dennis, there's so much talk about Macs, often from you. What do you have to say about Windows these days? Well, I mean, first of all, I mean, the numbers don't lie. I mean, the, the Windows is the dominant platform for lawyers by, by a huge margin. And I think it's an important topic. Um, and I don't think that Windows itself is like the air where we just take it for granted because uh, it is is important. Lawyers struggle with it. Lawyers are on all sorts of different versions of it. I think that's sort of the reason that I don't like to talk about Windows that much is because lawyers are on all these different versions of Windows. And, and it really makes it difficult to speak consistently about it. I remember doing, you know, 60 tips in 60 minutes uh, back in when Windows 7 came out. And I would give a Windows 7 tip and everybody in the room was using Windows XP, which I'm afraid might still be the case uh, today. But so I, I think it, that sort of makes it difficult to talk about Windows as a platform because people are using it in so, so many different ways. But I think the importance of Windows just can't be taken for granted. And in the past, we there would just be a, a big uh, uproar and commotion about a new, a new major release of Windows. And I just don't see the same thing with Windows 10. Well, it's not the same. And I think there's a reason for that. And part of the reason why lawyers are on so many different versions of Windows is the cost. You don't see that, for example, with iOS. Uh, Most people have upgraded to the latest version of iOS for their phones and for their tablets. Uh, Most people who are on Macs have upgraded to the latest version of the Mac operating system. And part of the reason for that is, one, it's automatic. It happens. It's, It's made available and boom, it's right 
right there. Second, it's free. And, and the one thing that I've noticed is, is that lawyers are hesitant to upgrade anything on their computer that's going to cost them and 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 they want to get every squeeze every penny out of whatever it is that they've got and and unfortunately Microsoft has had a, a, a history of charging for its operating system uh, they've charged for office uh, but I see lawyers who stick around with old versions of office they stick around with old versions of Adobe Acrobat they stick around with old versions of just about everything because they don't want to pay for for new versions of software and maybe I'm maybe I'm being hard on that but I really think that that has a lot to do with why we still uh, see lawyers on Windows XP. Uh, I, I'm assuming there aren't any lawyers on Windows 95 anymore, but I would guess XP is the the current version of Windows 95. But I, I really would like to see that change here with the with the release of Windows 10. Well, and I think Microsoft is going to to uh, step up to the plate and deliver on on that because the Windows 10 for almost everybody is going to be a, f- a free upgrade, and it's designed to be an easy upgrade. Now, I, I know that makes some people nervous, and a lot of reasons people don't like to update Windows is is they're afraid that something's going to go wrong. So that's out there, and then also I, I think with the probably the the misstep of of Windows. Eight that was that was fixed somewhat in Windows 8.1 of of making really uh, significant changes to the interface. I think that also uh, worries people from taking a, a step forward. So the good news, I think, it and we'll maybe jump into some of those details later. But that Windows 10 actually addresses a couple of of the things that are a big concern. But the free upgrade aspect of it is is going to be welcome. I just don't know whether the conservative IT departments um, in law firms, along with the lawyers' inherent conservatism, is actually going to move this update very fast. Well, but let's be clear. The update is only free for personal use. It's not update. It's not free for enterprise. So if it's a law firm and they have an enterprise copy, they're going to have to upgrade as in the past. They're going to have to pay for that. That's, that is one, one place where they're going to have to pay for their new version of Windows. I've seen it happen. I, it seems that Microsoft seems to do well every other Windows release. Windows XP was great. It was solid. It was stable. People liked it. Windows Vista, after that, not so much. People hated it. It just missed the mark. Windows 7 really, I think, was a solid release. But then Windows 8, again, fell short. And I think the reason why it it was a problem, you mentioned the user interface. It was too much of a radical departure from traditional Windows. It was really developed, um, I think, with the wrong idea in mind. It was anticipating that people would be prepared for a mobile touch environment sooner than they really were. Um, It had small panels on the screen that were called charms. Nobody knew what they were. The start menu, this is probably the worst thing, the start menu was nowhere to be seen. When you take away one of the biggest pieces of an operating system, what users are used to seeing, you can really, I think, expect a backlash. Windows 8.1 didn't really solve that. The start menu isn't there. Now, Windows 10 is bringing back the start menu, and we're going to, I think, talk about some of the other features in a little bit. But um, the one thing that I think is interesting, you you talked about that it's going to be free to download. 
I'm going to be really interested about that because the, the, the download date, it's going to be released and launched on July 29th. I have on my Surface Pro tablet, I have a little icon down in my in my toolbar. It says, reserve your copy of Windows 10. And it, I pop it up and it says, uh, this is free for you. Click here and you'll it'll automatically be downloaded to your, uh, to your computer on July 29th. I think that's great. That's awesome. It'll be ready for me. But think about this. So usually Windows uh, versions of Windows are large, and I would say they're probably in the three gigabyte range. Mac does this, and they make this available to everybody. But the install base, the users who have Macs, are—I would see—I've seen estimates in the low tens of millions. Uh, conservatively speaking, around the world, there are hundreds of millions of people who probably have Windows Seven, uh, Service Pack One or Windows 8.1. Those are the people who are entitled to the free upgrade. I'm going to be really interested to see when a three gigabyte file starts to get downloaded on hundreds of millions of computers simultaneously or within a short period of time on July 29th. I think it's going to make for very interesting uh, use of bandwidth. I don't know how that's going to work and whether they're going to be able to, to cover that. And maybe I'm just kind of geeking out about the whole idea of them downloading it. But it's it's going to be something considerably different than what uh Apple is used to doing just by the sheer size of Microsoft's install base. Yeah, and it's, I think it's not just a download, too. It's it's how long does the install take? Does right. it have to be attended? You know, what happens if, you know, you don't have the your uh, computer plugged in if you're on a laptop? You know, so there's a whole bunch of, of different things that I'm sure the, the Microsoft people have really given a lot of thought to. But, you know, there's a lot of a lot of issues, even on the Macs and the iPhone on it, on those OS updates. They can take a lot of time and it's, it's kind of a pain and you have to sign back in on everything, which I'm sure will, will happen with Windows as well. So it'd be great if they sort of move things along to make it easier for those types of, of big upgrades. But, you know, I, I think you have to do a lot of prep and be probably prepared to go for some period of time with your, your computer not av- available to you. But, you know, in theory, the benefits will outweigh uh, that and it'll be a, a minor inconvenience. But I think you touched on something that I think is a really important part of the the Windows world of the future, Tom, and, and that's your experience with the Surface Pro and this sort of... Uh, the merger of the the portable OS with the the desktop or laptop OS. So so that's one piece. And then the sort of notion of the combo device, which I think the Surface Pro is sort of tablet slash laptop and typing and touch. So why don't you talk a little bit about your experience with the Surface Pro, which I know has been really positive for you. And it's a very attractive, uh, I think, business computer um, option these days. So uh, tell us what your experience has been. So you're right. It has been a generally positive experience. I really like using the Surface Pro. And I'll so I'll I'll cover maybe three or four pros and three or four cons that I've seen in the six months or so that I've been using it. The major advantages one, it is slim, it's lightweight, I put it in my backpack, I 
I don't sometimes remember that I have a, a laptop or that I have a computer in my backpack anymore. It's it's that much of a difference between that and my old Lenovo laptop that I'm used to carrying around. Um, it's it's really nice. I can carry it wherever I'm going. I actually just I've got a carrying case for it, and I take it out of the backpack and carry it around. It's just so mobile, and that's really nice. Again, it's running full Windows, so I have full Microsoft Office. I have Acrobat. I have all the the programs that I'm used to running on my laptop on a combo device. And then again, it's the nature of the combo device because I'm used to working with an iPad and touching and scrolling and using my hand to get things done. And being able to do that in combination with the typing um, is so convenient. It allows me to move around and to navigate and to manipulate documents and to deal with things. Uh, It's so much better than using the touchpad or using a mouse is it's just so handy to be able to do that. Now, in terms of what I would call the cons, I think the cost, you know, there's two Surface Pros out right now. There's just the Surface, which is the more common, uh, I guess you'd relate that more to the iPad. It's designed to be the lower cost, uh, less power, less memory, um, still runs full Windows, but not as powerful as the Surface Pro. And then the Surface Pro 3 is what I'm using. Um, It is pricey. Uh, If you want to have a the good model, you're going to be paying north of a thousand dollars and and almost up to two thousand if you really want the the top of the line. So it is expensive. Um, the two biggest drawbacks that I've had to it is uh, the fan tends to run hot often, and I've tried several fixes to turn that off, and I've not had a ton of luck being able to do that. So sometimes right now I'm feeling the back of it. It feels pretty good. It's not hot, but there have been times where a process has been running really, really hot and heavy on the computer, and uh, and it's it literally burning to the touch. Uh, the keyboard could be better. It's a little bit flimsy. Uh, it's not as uh, it's not as heavy duty as I would like it to be. But uh, that's a trade off you make for having a light tablet. I think. I, I, I guess my other drawback would be that the App Store just is not as good as either the iOS or the Android App Stores. I mean, there are some app, Windows apps that are fantastic. Their sports and news apps and the weather apps are really nice looking and full featured, and they're really, really nice. But if you try and look at things like Twitter or Facebook or some of the apps that I'm used to using on the others, they just aren't done as well uh, for Windows as they are for the other devices. And that certainly talks to the number of people who are using it. They just haven't spent a lot of time on it. Um, those, I think, are kind of the major pros and cons. I, I still think it's worth it. I still uh, like using it. I don't plan to go back to a regular laptop. Uh, I, I think it's it's been a good experience. You know, it's, it's kind of funny that I've thought I kind of, it seems like for at least 15 years or more that you always start out with the notion that you can get a computer for under $1,000 or right around $1,000. And by the, every time, by the time I get it to configure the way I think I really want, <laughs> it's going to be $2,000 no matter what. So, so in a way that, that doesn't, that doesn't surprise me. And I, what I, what I think is interesting about the Surface Pro is, is some of the things you were talking about, uh, you know, how light, easy, it's a cloud device. And then I also think back at a time a couple of years ago, you were doing this shootout between, you know, the, uh, your iPad and somebody had an Android tablet and somebody had a Windows tablet. I don't remember if it was a Surface or something. It was pre-Surface. And the whole argument that the Windows tablet person said, and he must have said it at least 20 times at during least. that presentation yeah. was, and it runs Microsoft Office, you know. 
and you know they're you know, you know QED. You know, like what what else is there to say? And, and but I but I think that is an aspect of it. So when I look at it, when I say I think it's really interesting business computer because I say then I can move. You know, if I'm in an office from meeting to meeting, from conference room to conference room, I can plug it in uh, to a dock potentially. I can use it in a lot of different ways. It's light. I can do the use the the standard Microsoft Office programs that I want. I can travel with it, and it reminds me back of uh, sort of in a way it fulfills the promise of the old uh, notion of the netbooks. These super light uh, things that really kind of focused on being able to take advantage of the cloud. So those are the things I like. And then I'm also, Tom, and I kind of want to ask this question of you, where I think there's really interesting promise in this is in using Microsoft OneNote. Because that combination of typing and touch and the OneNote product, uh, especially for lawyers, just seems like the perfect uh, combination. So I hope you're not going to tell me I'm wrong about that. I am not going to tell you that you're wrong. I am. Um, I love OneNote and I use it at, for work all the time, but I probably don't use it the way that um, I would want to use it. I, I, I'm not using it as, as much as I could. I will say, and what I did, didn't mention before was, I think the stylus for the Surface Pro um, and, and the handwriting on the Surface Pro uh, just blows away what I have been able to do on the iPad. I mean, the, the stylus for the Surface Pro is like a ballpoint pen. It writes like a ballpoint pen. Um, it immediately connects to the tablet and, and works really well. It works just about in any app that I want, but it really works well in OneNote. OneNote's designed to, to accept handwriting. It can turn the handwriting into text if you wanted to. Um, you know, if you are a person who likes to write, um, you will love using the Surface with OneNote. It really is a good experience for that. I have tried it. I think one of the things that, um, that I struggle with that the Surface may, and, and this may be my lack of experience, I just haven't taken the time to learn how to do it, is the iPad has good what they call palm rejection. So you put your palm down on the side of the of the iPad of the tablet, um, and it doesn't register that something's there, so that you're not putting smudges or it's moving things around. I've not been able to get that to work on the Surface. I'm sure it does. I'm sure that it has that feature. In fact, if it's Windows, it's probably buried in a bunch of menus. I just haven't had the time to work on it, so I, I, it's probably a good a good research project that I need to to, to undertake on a weekend because I really would like to write more in OneNote than I am currently. And then I, I think the other the other thing that concerns me a little bit about the surface, and, and I've heard reports of this, and I've seen this reaction, is especially given the price that you're talking about. I think it's going to be a hard sell with the like again. I said very conservative IT departments and you know tight budgets and firms to say, oh, this we will give lawyers the Surface Pro rather than the standard business Dell, HP, or Lenovo boring heavy top desktop that you know most lawyers seem to be uh, sporting these these days. So it's a fascinating uh, product though, and, and like I said, that combination of of OneNote. Probably to me is more exciting than than maybe the other office products. But let's jump to uh, Windows 10. Tom, launch date expected, or maybe it's official at this point, July 29th. Where's the hoopla? I mean, what's why don't we seem to be hearing as much about this version of Windows as other versions? Um, let me come back real quick to your your speculation about uh, firms adopting it. 
that makes sense logically to me too, that uh, companies are going to be more interested in buying bulk at cheaper rates uh, than what Windows apparently or that Microsoft is apparently willing to charge for the Surface. I will say though that I have at least two clients and these are corporations, these aren't firms, but I have at least two clients where I've walked in and five people around the table all had, they were all rocking Surface tablets and I was very surprised and impressed that they were doing it. So I, I'm interested to see where that goes because I don't know that this is is going to follow the logic that I've been seeing lately. Now, in terms of the launch date for Windows 10, I only, I, I'm just going to speculate here. I'm going to speculate because I think that, that now that Windows is moving to a free upgrade, uh, that um, I think that we're moving towards more of the subscription model of the download automatic, that it's going to be more of the, the software as a service type thing. I think that there's less of the hoopla. It's just more of an iteration. And I think that Windows 10, if it's not the last Windows, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that happens because from here on out, it'll be less of new releases of Windows and just constant releases of updated Windows. And I and I wonder, my speculation is whether they're sort of getting started with that right now, saying it's no big deal, it's, it's coming out. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm not sure if that's the right answer, but that seems logical to me. Well, and that's the Office 365 model. So that's, there's a lot of speculation. This is a precursor to a subscription model. And that makes sense in the world of Office 365 and, you know, the fact that you have, I think it has to be really difficult for Microsoft to try to support people on all these different versions of Windows and people who stick with it for years and years and years, including all those people on an Office, uh, on Windows XP, which is, you know, a security nightmare at this point and not even supported, but you know, you still see or hear of plenty of people doing that. What about the features of Windows 10? I sometimes have this reaction every time there's a new version of an OS of like, oh, it's it's just an OS ultimately. But what are the features that Microsoft thinks that will uh, be attractive and, uh, enough to get us to move to Windows 10? For one, those of you who are on Windows 8.1, the, the number one reason, in my opinion, to go to Windows 10 is bringing back the start menu, is that uh, is that now you're going to get a little bit of a combination. You're going to get the start menu that you're used to, but it will also have some of those charms and some of those panels from, from Windows 8. So it's going to try to combine the best of both, and hopefully it makes, it makes a difference. I'm looking forward to having a start menu again. Even though I've learned to navigate around Windows 8.1, that was a big issue for me. I think it's going to be interesting that they're going to start uh, having a notification center very similar to the Mac notifications or notifications you might see on your phone. Um, so you'll be able to see that. That's, that's I think, a new thing. Cortana is going to become the uh, essentially the search function within Windows the same way that Siri um, has become the search function for OS and that actually in the new uh, version of the Mac OS, Siri is going to become closely more closely related to Windows Spotlight or Mac Spotlight Search. Uh, there's going to be a new browser. Internet Explorer is going away. I think that's a huge thing. Um, there's going to be a new browser. They're just calling it Project Spartan right now. I haven't seen anything about it. What I've heard is they're still working on it and uh, it's going to be pretty bare bone type of browser. The other thing that I thought was interesting is that they're going to, instead of a, when you press on an app, an actual app within current Windows 8.1, then it goes full screen 
screen. It's hard to get out. You don't know how to get out of it. Um, it's very, I won't call it annoying, but it's overwhelming. And you just, you kind of feel locked in by the app. They're now going to make those uh, apps more windowed. So they're more familiar to people who like windows and the app's going to show up in something that you can resize. You can make it full screen. You can make it less than the full screen. You can put two apps up side by side and look at both your Facebook and your Twitter at the same time if you want to do something like that. And to me, those are the more, more interesting features. Those are what I find interesting. Anything else on the list, Dennis, that I left off that you'd want to talk about? You know, I think you really covered it. I mean, there's a notion of virtual desktops and and then I think uh, sort of the underlying theme of, of moving us closer to the same experience across all our our Windows devices. I know you're all in on, on Windows 10. Uh, I'll probably try to talk my wife into putting Windows 10 on, on her Windows computer. And I, I guess my my sort of wrap-up thought on this, Tom, is my usual thought about the generation gap uh, between work and home. And I think that it's going to be easy for people to go to Windows 10. And like you said, it's almost you know, potentially automatic for for people. And I suspect that in the enterprise and in firms, it's going to take longer to move to Windows 10. And and if you say you're at a firm on Windows 7 and at home you're using Windows 10 and you're liking it, that's that's a couple generations of difference. And so I think once again, this gap of what you're able to do on the personal computer versus what you're able to do on the work computer is going to get larger. And I think it's going to be a more negative experience for many people at work. It might be. And I'm, I'm going to be interested to see because I like we talked about before, I think that I would analogize this to Windows Vista in that lots of firms stuck around on Windows XP for a long time before upgrading to Windows 7. Likewise, they've been doing the same thing and not upgrading to Windows 8 or 8.1, waiting for the next version. So I'll be interested to see how long it takes them to actually get up to 10, because I think that there's there are a lot of good features in 10. I'll be interested to see if, you know, I think that if, if history is any judge, you're right, it's going to take a while. People who are used to getting something at home sooner, maybe waiting longer at work. Uh, I think that can be and will be very frustrating if it happens. But I, I don't know. I'll be interested to see because this, uh, I think the Windows 8.1 was kind of a, a jarring uh, reality that a lot of firms, a lot of companies really didn't want to pay attention to. And so they may be willing to, to, to bite the bullet on Windows 10 sooner than that. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy. And I'm Tom Mile. We ran out of time uh, during our last podcast when we were talking about artificial intelligence. Uh, the part that we missed out on was the so what. Uh, in, in, I guess, in other words, what should lawyers actually do about AI, if anything? I am going to challenge Dennis to come up with some practical ideas for AI. I'm going to either shoot them down or agree with them. I might come up with a couple of my own, but I reserve the right to just sit here speechless 
Nicholas again as as I did before. So Dennis, show me what you got. Okay, so I was thinking about AI in the context of what I did on a couple days at, at work. And despite the fact that most people seem to be afraid of AI and how it may eliminate the role of lawyers, I actually was found a whole bunch of things I wish that I could just turn over to AI. You know, so there's repetitive, there's tedious things, there's there's stuff that don't uh, let you think as, as much as you would like on the actual problems. You're just kind of grinding things out. Uh, so even though technology helps, um, you're still doing a lot of a lot of work that probably is not the highest and best work for lawyers. So with all technology, I like to kind of get prepared for that to say, what are the things that I have to do that it's over time not going to make sense for me to do that much anymore? And with AI, because it's, you know, some years in the distance, I think you can start to think along those lines. So I think you want to understand some of the developments, uh, do what time you and I sometimes call it a technology audit, but it's almost like a work audit to say, what are the things I do and what in the future is it going to make more sense for technology to do rather than me to kind of slog through? And as a result, how can I take advantage of developments in AI and other technology to make my work better, to become a better lawyer and to focus on the real value that I bring to my work and, and to you know my clients or in my case, in-house to to the company that I work for. So I think it's it's this great almost sort of like gives you a space to brainstorm and, and think what a better work life uh, would actually be. So that's one thing. And then the other thing is I think it's important to identify some of the, the, the sort of beginning areas where we're seeing artificial intelligence and experience those things. And so, you know, in the last episode, I'm just really intrigued by how much of this sort of thinking uh, notion is built into our cars these days. And so I, I think sort of starting to appreciate that. When you look at the Siri, uh, Google Now, the, the other, uh, you know, sort of voice-aided functionalities, that's another, another thing. And just trying to get a handle on some of those things and to say, okay, how can this start to apply uh, to my legal practice? And are there ways to experiment with that. And so I, I think not that you need to be afraid, not that you need to be overly offensive, uh, defensive, but I think you need to say, how are things realistically going to change and can I position myself to take advantage of that? Well, as usual, I'm speechless. Um, I, um, I don't disagree with you, although I, I think that your, your first method to some extent, applies to any kinds of technology. What things do I do today that technology could solve? And I suppose we could ask that question about artificial intelligence the same way. I guess I'm more skeptical about finding um, ways that artificial intelligence can help us right now. And maybe I'm just not the visionary or the brainstormer to be able to do it. But you bring up Siri or Google Now. I think Google Now is the most impressive Cortana to a certain extent. I think Siri actually runs third place to all of those all of those but but I, I like Google now Google now they they're rolling out a version of it where you can be um, standing in a place and all you have to do is ask Google now 
what's the address of this place or what's the phone number of this place? And it will use its location to tell you where you are and what you're doing. You could ask questions about LeBron James and you could say, who is LeBron James? And then you could follow it up by asking, what's his birthday? And Google now would know that you were still talking about LeBron James. Um, and then you could ask a series of questions and it would continue to know who you were talking about the entire time and you never needed to say the name LeBron James again. And I think that that's a really intriguing use of artificial intelligence. I'm still not sure how to apply that to the world of, of law. And, and Dennis, maybe you can suggest some ways. I really think that that's interesting, but I'm still sitting in the in the area that looks at artificial intelligence as something that's great for playing chess, that's great for doing war games, that's great for technology-assisted review. But I'm just not sure how the average lawyer is going to benefit, at least in the near term. Well, let me suggest something to you then. So uh, I think one of the great, and you mentioned this on the last episode, okay, so new Google Photos, which you love. So Google lets you upload all these photos, and then it, it identifies them and helps you sort them, and you can do searches on them in amazing ways. And to me, that's an example of where artificial intelligence is all happening at the back end, not where we're sitting. True. And it's it does some amazing things. And so you start to see, well, what's what if you think of AI as a service? And so how can I take some of those things and enhance what I do as a lawyer? So Let's take the thing where you would say this is the mo one of the most uniquely lawyerly things you can do. If, if, if I'm a litigator, I'm taking a deposition or I'm cross-examining somebody and I'm asking all these great questions and I'm interpreting, you know, how the witness is reacting to them. And, you know, I have a list of questions and stuff. But what if uh, I, I'm able to use uh, some artificial intelligence uh, applications that help me analyze the body language of that witness? What if they help me sequence or suggest new questions that follow up just because they're seeing patterns? And so... I think there, there are really some interesting applications, even in the core areas that right now we would say these are uniquely lawyer things. And I think that it is possible to say, oh, there's a scenario where this replaces a lawyer. But I think way more interesting is to say this allows us to become even better at what we do and the people who take advantage of this technology first are, are going to be in a much better place. And so I think that's really exciting. Well, I think that's awesome, too. But where do they exist in real life, Dennis? It's all in our imaginations. It's imagination first, have it. and then it comes to real life. But I think <laughs> the Google Photos and some of the other things definitely point us to the types of applications. And... You know, we'll, we're seeing we'll get there. we're seeing a big increase in venture capital and other things in the in the legal space. So uh, maybe it's not quite. I mean, I, I still say we're talking, you know, five, ten plus years away. But but I, it could happen a little faster than. But certainly, some unique applications could happen sooner. I'm with you on that. Now it's time for our parting shots. That one tip website or observation that you can use a second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. 
So one of my favorite apps on both iOS and Android is the Sunrise Calendar. And there's a new app for Sunrise. And in fact, it's such a great calendar that Microsoft bought it. Microsoft's actually buying up all the great apps on Android and iOS. You should That's a thing that's happening. It's a trend that's happening now, and I think it's important. Um, but there's a new app that goes along with the Sunrise Calendar, and it's called Meet, M-E-E-T. And it's designed to help you schedule things. So it's actually a keyboard that has your calendar in included within it. So if you're in any app, you can pull up the Meet keyboard and you can suggest times to a person for so that they can select times to join for a particular meeting. It makes scheduling a meeting very simple, very easy. Uh, I've only just started to, to try it and test it out and I'm very intrigued with how it works. Uh, I kind of like the idea of being able to pull up my calendar within a keyboard no matter what app I happen to be in and I don't have to multitask and head back to my calendar to look at when I'm available. So uh, not sure if I'm going to wind up using it long term, but I really think it's an interesting app and it is free. Meet for Sunrise. Sounds cool. I'm pointing people to an article by my my buddy Jeff Carr, who's one of my favorite people to run into and and talk to. He's really an innovative uh, thinker in the best sense of the term, former, uh, I guess, retired general counsel of FMC Technologies, really did some interesting things there. He has a post, a guest post on Ron Friedman's uh, strategic legal technology blog called Old Law, New Law, Emerging Law, Next Law, and Do Less Law. And I, I really recommend it to listeners of this audience. And so he goes through this this sort of notion that there's sort of four areas to think about, which is he calls old law, which is sort of the billing hours, new law, which is lowering costs to solve legal problems, emerging law, which is solving legal problems, doing so efficiently and effectively that may involve alternative uh, billing. And then he says next law, which is the most interesting place to get, is in the business of providing preventing legal problems from ever arising. And as he says, after all, unless you're a law firm, the best legal issue is the one that you never have. It's a short article, really interesting uh, and thought-provoking article, and I hope it generates a lot of discussion. So Jeff Carr and the notion of, of both next law and what he calls do less law. It was a great blog post. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode at tcanreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site where you can find archives of all our previous podcasts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please email us at tcanreport at gmail.com or send us a tweet. I'm at Tom Mile and Dennis is at Dennis Kennedy. So until the next podcast, I am Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. Help us out by telling a couple of your friends and colleagues about this podcast. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.